Hi, I'm Madeline Hayes, and this is David Addison. Right. And we'd just like to take a minute or two before the show starts to welcome you back to another season of Moonlighting. That's right. Start the show? Start the show. Welcome back. Welcome to the show, Moonlighting fans. Whether you're a Moonlighting fan from way back when, or whether you are new to Moonlighting and you want to know what all the hype is about, you have come to the right place. Hi, I'm Grace. And I'm Shauna. And we're your hosts for the podcast that is all about Moonlighting. When we talk about Moonlighting, we're talking about the Emmy award-winning 80s TV series starring Bruce Willis and Simple Shepherd. So if you're a fan of theirs, you're going to want to stay tuned as we review all 66 episodes. We hope you enjoy this journey with us because we are going to be watching the series episodes one by one and discussing them every week. Now this is going to take several years as you can imagine, so please join us because we are going to have so much fun along the way. We will also be releasing bonus episodes of interviews with creators, cast and crew to extend your listening experience. That's right, and we really want to include our Moonlighting fans in this project as much as possible. So write to us and let us know what your thoughts are, and even if you have some trivia to disclose. Our email address is fans at moonlightingthepodcast.com, and we will include you in our future episodes. So stay with us. Shauna and I are beyond excited to finally bring Moonlighting into the 21st century for some serious discussions. You up for it, Shauna? I sure am. Well, let's let's get started. How was that? Sorry, Grace. Sorry, Shauna. Too short. Too short? And you know why, don't you? Because you talk too fast. Oh, that's it. If the network network wants to welcome the listeners back, they can do it themselves. Hello, Moonlighting fans, and welcome back to another great season of Moonlighting. Hi, Grace. Hi, Shauna. Season two is here. We've had a nice long break. We took a little break for the holidays, and uh, now we're, we're back and we're ready to start this great season. We were just saying, one of the best seasons of Moonlighting coming up here, season two. Season two, episode one, Brother, Can You Spare a Blonde? Quick synopsis of the episode. David's brother, Richie, arrives in town, spending money extravagantly and flirting with Maddie, which makes David jealous. While David gets to handle his jealousy, Maddie has just found out that she owes the IRS $35,000. David asks his brother Richie for a loan to help Maddie out, but tells him not to say a word about it. He tells Maddie that he found an agency bank account with money in it that no one knew about. David gets angry when, due to a mistaken identity, David is attacked by a stranger in the men's room, wanting his money back, thinking he is Richie. He has now realized that all this money that Richie has been flaunting does not belong to him. Richie found $100,000 under the hood of his car, but refuses to go to the police as he is sure the money is dirty. The money belongs to a drug dealer, Mr. Navarone, who corners the Blue Moon team at a shopping mall. However, the team scatters the money over a third floor mall balcony to the excitement of all the shoppers below and to the dismay of Mr. Navarone. This is the first episode of the series in which David and Maddie break the fourth wall, welcoming the audience back for the second season at the start of the episode. This episode was directed by Peter Werner. It was written by Glenn Gordon Caron. The guest stars are Ed O'Ross, Charles Rocket and Jonathan Stark. And the episode aired on the 24th of September, 1985. This is the eighth episode of Moonlighting. I want to start talking about this very 
special and interesting way to open the episode, which, I mean, what other TV show before or since has done this? Have the two main characters, as your intro said, breaking the fourth wall, welcoming viewers back to another season of Moonlighting, (laughs) very much blurring the lines between the characters and the people who play them, you know, the characters and the actors. They're calling each other Maddie and David, but then the director's calling them Sybil and Bruce. Yes, so it's it's interesting to watch because am I watching Maddie and David or am I watching (laughs) Sybil and Bruce? Yeah. And, I mean, other TV shows wouldn't have dared do that. They wouldn't dare. No, at this time. Yeah. Yeah. And now I'm thinking of um, Bob Hope, maybe Bob Hope and his wife, maybe before that in the the 40s or 50s, whenever they had a, there was a show, um, once in a while I think they would break the fourth wall and talk directly to the audience. But, yes, in the 80s at this time, how television was, nobody was doing this. And that is how, you know, one of my theories about why we're hooked on Moonlighting all of these years later is because the chemistry and, you know, like everything that goes into Moonlighting. But what makes it so interesting is the blurred lines between Sybil and Bruce and Maddie and David. And so much of what was going on off screen was also happening on screen. And, you know, as fans, I think we always just got this sense that we weren't sure who we were looking at, Maddie, David, Sybil, Bruce, you know, and so something about that made it um, twice as exciting, I think. I think they were just making fun of themselves, especially when they were arguing about she's telling him he talks too fast and that's why the show is too short. And he's going, no, it's not the reason. It's because you talk over while I'm talking. So, (laughs) And this is probably a real life argument that they were saying, you know, the scripts were already twice as long. And then I'm sure Glenn coming down and saying, hey, guess what, guys, we're still short, even though we have these really long scripts. And they're saying, and I'm sure I could, I could just hear them saying like, too short. That's because yes. everyone, you know, we talk so fast and the overlapping dialogue and all this other stuff. And I'm sure we've heard, you know, Glenn talk about it before. I'm sure this is one of those times where he had to say, it's short. What are we going to do? He had to just like write something up that morning and have them come down and film this quickly, probably on a Tuesday morning, right before it like went to air. They just had to fill some time there. Or bring Agnes in to do something. Mm-hmm. Or Curtis do a dance, or <laughs> I don't know. Um, but like you're always saying, Grace, you're always quoting this like it needs to be 60 minutes long. The network says tonight's show is too short. The network says every show has to be one hour long, not 59 minutes, not 61 minutes, 60 minutes long, and we're a minute short. 61 minutes, 60 minutes long. <laughs> so, you know, this is just a reminder to all of us. And yeah, I just think this is such, uh, you know, one of those last minute things, very spontaneous. Here we are, second season, eight episodes in, and the things that this show were doing at the time were just so unique and fun for the audience. I mean, just imagine in the 80s, you tune into Moonlighting, and they're just, you know, the actors are just talking directly to you, like, welcome back to another season of Moonlighting. Yeah, fantastic. You know? I loved it. I'm sure other fans loved it too, you know. Yes, and I love how they have the projector, you know, start the show. <laughs> I love yeah. it. He turns on the projector and... We go into uh, the Moonlighting theme song. So, yes, great opening. I think we, we all agree. I just like when they first, it fades in to them too and they start talking, but they must have had several takes to get it right. And at the yeah. beginning he makes a little laugh as if he's going to stuff it up again, but he keeps going. <laughs> <laughs> if the producers want to welcome viewers back, they can do it themselves and they walk off, you know. 
And then um, Bruce comes on, you know, doing kind of shading his eyes from the light. Like, how was that? Was that okay? You know, like you said, like they're probably multiple yeah. takes, things like that. But yeah, it's just set, it's such like blurred lines. What am I looking at here? Am I looking at Maddie and David? I'm looking at Sybil and Bruce. They're playing Maddie and David. They're, you know, we're, we're talking about how they needed to fill some time because the show ran short. And yeah, but then it's like the director's like, sorry, Sybil, sorry, Bruce. It's still too short or whatever. You know what I mean? It's just, yeah. It's and I'd love to know whose voice that was too, because he's got a great voice. Yeah. Do you think that was Peter Werner? Sorry. So it, didn't sorry sound, it didn't sound like him from the interviews I've seen. The voice was really quite distinct. Sorry, Sybil. Sorry, Bruce. You know, like it was. Yeah. <laughs> it was so good. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. It wasn't Glenn and it wasn't Jay. I don't know whose voice that was, but yeah, they did have a great voice. I agree. They could have disguised their voice too, whoever. Yeah. And of course, being the moonlighting geek that I am, I've looked up the names that he was saying, like Karen. He said, like, Karen, get my agent on the phone. He said, yep. so, Miss Ehrlich. The mom, do you know Mr. why Ehrlich, we're a minute very... short? Karen, get because my agent on the phone, that. please. It's like, those are all the real names of people, you know, the heads of the um, of ABC at that time. and Yeah, because he mentions Ron Ehrlich. Yeah. All very real, although also in character. So all the blurred lines and, you know. Yeah, they kind of started this whole machine of never really being sure who, you know, we're looking at. Who is this really all about? Is this about Sybil and Bruce, you know, Maddie, David, whatever, you know, even in the commentary when even like Bruce and Glenn and Sybil and everybody are talking about the characters, they're always interchanging the names, Mm -hmm. you know, Sybil and Bruce and Maddie and David when they're talking about the characters, when they're talking about the real people and things like that. So, Okay, so the first scene we have... Edo Ross, Mr. Navarone, under the bridge, yeah. which is used again. This area is used again in another episode. Oh, okay. Um, somewhere like under the freeway? Yes, except it was daytime. Are you talking about like My Fair David? There? Nope. No. Nope. I'm going to keep everybody in suspense. This area was used in another episode of Moonlining, but it was daytime, you're saying, yes. in yes. that episode. Yes. You know, I'm going to have to try to guess where. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Somewhere under the rainbow. No. No? Okay. All right. I'll keep thinking. Okay. So the camera pans down from the ceiling of the bridge, which comes down to Edo Ross in the car waiting. I really like the lighting in this scene because he's sitting there, he's fiddling with his nails with his probably his switchblade. <laughs> And then all of a sudden there's a light behind him, which is the car arriving, and the light just covers his eyes. It's um, really good lighting. So then enter Jonathan Stark, who is the undercover policeman, who is late. He's, you know, several minutes late, and Mr Navarone is not happy about that. Five minutes late, and he's not having it. He is a drug dealer that is, uh, has a stickler for punctuality. Yes. That's funny. Funny little, (laughs) you know, funny little character flaw, I guess. I love his character. He's very serious, very serious about his business and the money. I'll tell you a little bit about um, Edo Ross. He was born in 1949 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and his trademark is his deep gravelly voice, which (laughs) that's very obvious. He often plays Russian characters. He's a former Golden Gloves boxing champ. 
he portrayed a henchman for Dutch Schultz in two movies, The Cotton Club in 1984 and The Hoodlum in 1997. And coincidentally, both movies starred Lawrence Fishburne as Ellsworth Bumpy Johnson. He's guest starred in two different TV series, Men in 1989 and NCIS in 2011, and they were both titled Baltimore. How funny. One of his personal quotes is, boy, if anyone thinks I look Irish, they need glasses. I'm pure Czechoslovakian and proud of it. People think he looks Irish. He plays a lot of Russians, but he's Czechoslovakian. He's Czechoslovakian. Yeah, that's right. He had a favourite role, and one of his quotes was, this is the first good series I've ever done. Let's put that away. When you get up in the morning and you can't wait to go to work and you're just loving every minute of it, it's really heaven. And he was talking about playing Nikolai on Six Feet Under. Oh, I love that series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. He did play. He was on Six Feet Under. That was That's one of my favorite series of all time, actually, Six Feet Under. He had a nickname and his name was Butch. Hmm. I wonder why. Probably because of all the characters he played. They were all quite Butch, weren't they? Yep. Threatening guys. His career goes back to 1979, but... The main ones I can see is Scarecrow and Mrs. King, uh, Moonlighting. Well, it says here that he was in two episodes, but he was only in one. He was just unaccredited for the blooper episode <laughs> when, oh, when, he's okay. putting, when he's putting Bruce in the toilet. Murder, She Wrote, Seinfeld, Chicago Hope, NYPD Blue, CSI New York, Six Feet Under, and he was in Curb Your Enthusiasm. So looks like he is actually still working. The last thing I can see is 2019, but there's three other things he's going to be in that are still in pre-production. So he's still really? working. Well done, Ed. Yeah, yeah still a working actor. Great, great mm-hmm. job. And in many wonderful shows. Now, Jonathan Stark, he's the young undercover policeman that tries to arrest him. He's another tall fella, six foot three. Wow. He was born in Pennsylvania as well. Looks like his career started in 81. He's mainly a producer. He produced the Drew Carey show, Ellen, the TV series, and several others. Um, But he starred in Moonlighting, Prince of Bel-Air, Cheers, and Ellen as well. Right. So we quickly find out Navarro, he decides to do the deal anyway, even though he's five minutes late. And then we quickly find out that he's an undercover policeman and they were going to arrest Navarro. I love how he says. Uh, just one more thing. Yeah, you're under arrest, jackass. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> and Navarro finds a way to escape, and the chase is on, and the music backs that up. The music is very intense. The music is very, yeah. you know. Yeah, the music starts when he's got the briefcase on the car. It's starting slow, and then... Yeah. Once he realizes that he's under arrest and there's policemen everywhere undercover, pushes him away. I think he does it with the car door. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the music gets really, really, it's real serious. Good on you, Alf. He's very good yeah. with the music, isn't he? <laughs> I know. Yes, it's very dramatic, very serious, very 80s. And also the um, the stunts were really good, you know, hanging on to the cars and the car threw the guy off. Yeah. And when the and car rolls over, wow. Yeah. Now I want to know something. How did he survive that car crash? Tell me now. 
<laughs> Those were big, sturdy boats of cars there in the 80s. It was just a big piece of metal. <laughs> you know what? They don't make cars like they used to. No, those were like big pieces of metal that, you know, probably protected them on all sides, I guess. Um, but you know what? He what? didn't have a seatbelt on, so he would have been I know. Flown. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I know. I know. But he pops out the window and he runs. And the funny thing is the cops, you know, are right behind him, yes. you know, for a long time. And he jumps over that wall. At first, I, I thought he was going to, like, jump down and fall far, but then he goes down that kind of slanted grass area you know looks like he did his own Um, stunt and it's always him when he gets over the fence and it looks like it's flat but there's actually a little step there and then he goes around and comes down past the fence yeah Um, and he's got a sore leg he's hurt his leg obviously well they had to show something that he hurt but what I did notice was when he was coming down that ramp not ramp the dirt you know past the fence yeah the hill it's well lit but later, when he's coming up the concrete ramp into the car park, it's all dark. Oh, really? <laughs> okay. That's funny. So they've, like, lit the scene to show him coming over the fence and down the, the little hill there. And then, of course, into a parking garage, as Glenn loves parking garages. What would moonlighting be without parking garages? I know. Yeah, it'd be a whole different show. So the kind of funny thing is that the cops are right behind them up until that point, but then... He does have plenty of time to find a car, pick a car, you know, try all these cars that are locked and finally finds one where he can hide this briefcase in the, under the hood of the car, I guess we would call it. We call it the bonnet. That's the bonnet. Okay. Yeah, the bonnet. So we call it the hood. <laughs> um, I just wrote here, he runs away. How do they not catch up to him? Yes. Because they were right behind him and then suddenly they're, and they were like multiple people too. You know, and he's just one on his own. And then suddenly he has all this time to find an open car and, you know, hide the money there. And then he just puts the money there. Now, here's my question. How does he even know whose car it is or anything like that? Because he doesn't, you know, look at the license plate. He doesn't really notice any defining features. He just finds a car that he can hide the money in, sticks the briefcase there, closes the hood, and he runs off. Okay. So, So, yeah. yeah. So the first thing I thought of was, first of all, how does a car not start because there's a briefcase in there? <laughs> I, I, I don't get that. Either that yeah. or his car, his car obviously is stuffed anyway. So, you know. Yeah. yeah um, he's a car anyway, so probably wasn't yeah. starting anyway. So but, yeah. I, I did notice that he puts it down, but then it cuts off. The scene cuts there. So you don't know whether he's actually looked at the licence plate. Plus, I don't think he had a pen and paper on him. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but um, later on in the episode, Richie does mention that, that he got it off his license plate. So, Okay. Yes. The other thing I thought about was, and I was going to say, he, and he didn't have an iPhone to take a picture of the license plate for later. <laughs> <laughs> but the one point is Richie left his car there. So Navarro definitely could have come back, looked for the money, noticed the money was gone, but got the license plate number then. That is an excellent point, Shauna, and that's probably what happened. Over here. Yeah, yeah, I think that's what's happened because the car was still there, obviously, yes. And I love how he throws the keys in the bonnet. You know what? I've yeah. got 100 grand. I don't need you, Rambler. <laughs> don't need this piece of crap car anymore, so that's a wrap on the car. Yeah, I mean, who can blame him for just, like, taking the money and running off? I mean, you find a briefcase full of money. 
why not? I like how um, they've done Ed Ross up in his makeup, looking all dirty, looks dirty on the face and a bit greasy, um, you know, from the accident. Yeah. So then, so he runs off and that kind of leads us into Richie's presentation. Yeah. So it's a good transition into, like he walks past the the sign saying that Richie's got a presentation on and then he disappears into the darkness. Yeah, so it's it's a it's a really good introduction to to Richie, isn't it? You know, oh, dancing yeah. and he's got his two rap dancers there and he's got his unbelievable, you know, unbelievable is the word, product that he's trying to sell, yeah. which is going to make you rich and thin. Yeah. And it's good because his name's Richie. So yeah. that sort of works in well as well. And I love the sign and I love the the cutout. That's yeah. what he used to be like and that's what he is now. And <laughs> I know it's so funny. This like the the fat version of Richie. And then yeah, like the thin version, you know, you just know he was never fat. He was always this like skinny tall guy. The other thing that I love on the poster for Rich and Thin, it says mint flavored. <laughs> yes. I saw that. I paused it just to see what the sign says. <laughs> I think I read it. Just down. to make it a little bit more disgusting and like ridiculous, ridiculous. you know. It's even mint yeah. flavored. Yeah, it's mint flavored, yes. And it's full of sugar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's terrible stuff. But gosh, this is like what could be more Addison, you know. Oh, yeah. If David wasn't a detective, he'd be doing something like this too. You know, this is just such an Addison thing to be doing. There's like, he's just so like uh, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree with the Addison boys and their and their attitude, their positive attitude. Yeah, this is great. This is going to work. Don't worry yeah. about it. This is going to work. Right. <laughs> yeah, lots of other products took time to take off. You have to get people used to these things. You know, you're right. He has a positive attitude, just like um, David is always, you know, doing with Maddie, which we see in just a few minutes. But I really um, love how he stuffs up the dance routine, but he tries to make out it, you know, that, well, it was meant to be like that. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, I mean, it's just so funny. It's the perfect introduction to Richie. You just get a sense of his character. We already kind of know how he is and how he's going to be because we know David and it's, he's just the perfect person to play David's brother. Do you know he was six foot five and a half? I know he was really tall. He's yeah. taller than Tim Robbins. Yeah. So far, far he's our tallest actor. Okay. Yeah. So he was born in August 1949 in Bangor, Maine. He was born Charles Adams Clavery. In brief, he was known for doing Dumb and Dumber in 1994, Dances with Wolves in 1990, Mm -hmm. and Titan AE in 2000. And unfortunately, he died on the 7th of October 2005 in Connecticut. They say his trademark was his deep, resonant voice, sparkling blue eyes, towering height, and his muscular physique. Yes, I love Richie. He is so handsome and, like, silly and goofy, kind of. Just a very lovable guy, and how could we all not just love him for being David's brother? Uh, Just a little bit of trivia. He made a guest appearance on both Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman in 93. And he played the very first angel of death, Adam, on Touched by an Angel in 1994. In the late 1970s, he was a weekend anchor for WTVF, a CBS affiliate in Nashville. 
and he appeared in Tom Petty's music video, Yeah, So Bad, as the yuppie ex-husband. I think his big break was Saturday Night Live. Um, he was looks like he was there from 1980 to 81. And what a surprise, he was in Remington Steel in 1985. <laughs> wow. He was in Miami Vice as well in 1986. Of course. Uh, yes, of course. Moonlighting in nine, uh, from 1985 to 89. So he was in six episodes of Moonlighting, Those Lips, Those Lies, Maddie Hayes Got Married, Trip to the Moon, It's a Wonderful Job, The Sun Also Rises, and Brother Can You Spare a Blonde. Mm. And he was in 30-something. Hmm. Picket Fences, and he played Charlie Addison in 1998 on the TV series Sybil. Oh, really? He was, yes. Yeah, that's right. So he played Charlie. So Sybil does have a sense of humour. <laughs> Charlie Addison. Yes. <laughs> now, in the, in the commentary, Sybil mentions that Charlie worked with her on Sybil as yeah. TV executives because she was an actress must have been going for a part and they were tv executives or something interviewing her oh, charlie okay. and um dennis dugan yeah uh, that's great and i found a little crossover between charlie rocket and edo ross they were both in men in black the tv series in uh-huh. the same in the same episode in 1997 oh. called the inanimate syndrome mm. so that was interesting Oh, that's funny. And, and I'm in the middle of watching the X-Files from the start. Okay. And he was in yeah. the X-Files in 1999. He played Grant Ellis, but I'm not up to that episode yet. So <laughs> when I get yeah, there, do. I'll let you know. And you'll send me a picture when you do. I will. And I've, um, I'll just let the listeners know, I've, I've also started watching Hill Street Blues from the start because we were just crazy on Hill Street Blues. We never missed it. And in every single episode of Hill Street Blues, I have noticed an actor from Moonlighting, a younger actor from Moonlighting. So I've taken some shots and I'll put them on the Facebook group and I'll ask the listeners and our Facebook group if they can tell me the actor and what character they played on Moonlighting. And that, yeah, I was just going to say Grace has an eagle eye for spotting actors that run Moonlighting and many a night I get a sneaky pick. Sent to my uh, messenger app, Grace saying like, guess who this is? Look who I saw. And last night I watched one episode and guess who appears but David Addison's ex-wife. Tess. Tess. Really? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But she looks really different because she's totally oh. a junkie. She's a real junkie. Oh, yeah. how funny. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, I don't even know if I would recognize her, so that's good. Good eagle eyes, Grace. He used right. to be tall and he used to be fat. <laughs> <laughs> no, he used to be thin and no. He used to be, no, he used to be thin and he used to be poor. Now he he's rich and thin and drives a Porsche 944. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's bad that I know that. I mean, Oh, we watch. I watch that episode too often. (laughs) I know. I I love that song. You know, it's just so funny, and so much of this is so Glenn with he thinks and he thinks and he thunk and he thunk. You know, Glenn loves those like irregular past tenses in 
getting those wrong. He does that all the time. It's great. I just I love how he plays with language. And as he says in the commentary, he was oblivious to all this stuff. He was writing stuff that would amuse him. Yeah. You know? And luckily it amused us as well. So I know. Yes. Just like the references he would throw in. And, you know, like the thing is, you know, the Addison brothers are always, you know, talk yak, 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 you know, like David always trying to convince Maddie about, you know, E.E. Cummings or you know people that he brings up. But, you know, when um, Richie is talking about take gum, for example, it took a while to convince these people to chew it and not to, you know, eat it and swallow it or grass. I mean, it is a good point about grass. People spend all this time, you know, tending to their grass more time than they do with their kids only to cut it and throw it away. I mean, it's a good point. (laughs) It is such a good point. And it's funny because I never actually took much notice of what he said. I know. Until about a year ago. And I'm like, oh, because I'm, you know, I'm just like, move, move it right along. I want to see Maddie and David. Um, yeah. But now that yeah. when I, now that I'm, you know, scrutinizing these episodes, I'm really interested in what they're saying. And yeah. um, he does, he does a very good point because we look after our lords, we water them, we fertilize them, then we cut them and throw away the grass. Yeah, <laughs> cut it, throw it away. You know? Yeah, it's really funny. And even the beginning, you know, like some say, you know, we're saying on Facebook group. The beginning with Navro and the whole drug deal thing and being, you know, on time. Yeah. I mean, I'd probably go through that myself. You know, I'd probably like fast forward to Richie, you know what I mean? Like, but sitting and actually just watching it, mm. it's kind of nice. You know, it's kind of nice to see what that was all about and the whole punctuality thing and all of that. That's just so Glenn as well. You know, it's just like what, what drug dealers is a stickler for time, you know, <laughs> it's pretty random. It is right. And he's very well dressed too. They're all always very well dressed. Yes, in Moonlight. Simon was very well dressed. Yep. And now we've got Mr. Navarone very well dressed as well. Yeah, these suits were big in the 80s. Everybody was wearing a suit, no matter what your profession was. So all three of them come out to the car park, and <laughs> yeah. these two dancers yeah. have noticed that that's not a Porsche. Yeah. Well, it's a very delicate machine. <laughs> yeah, in the shop. In the shop. It's so. In the shop. Yeah, they're just like, this guy's full of crap, you know. Oh, it's funny too. The dancer's like, sorry, we didn't sell any of that stuff. Yeah. So it's like they've done this whole presentation. He's put it all together. He's got people in the, the ballroom of this, you know, hotel. Of course. Does he sell any? No. I like how half of them walk out too. The, yeah. There was an old couple there looking at him going, Oh my God, let's get out of here. So <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And then there's Nobody. a lady there. There's a little old lady at the back doing her knitting. Yeah. Uh, that's great. <laughs> like, I'm just passing time. <laughs> it's so funny. It's really funny how he says goodbye to them and you can't do the handshake. Oh, God, I know. Yes. They're like, this guy is just so square. <laughs> David would be able to do the handshake. You know, David was the cooler of the two Addison brothers. When you were saying that um, Richie was only in six episodes, it's funny. You know, I feel like he was in more episodes or, I, you know, or I also like wish he were in more episodes. I wish he lived in L.A. and he would like pop in once in a while and you know, be, be a character more often. Yeah, I think we've got the advantage of binge watching though. So it seems like he's in more. Whereas if you take it over five years, it is spread out because he wasn't yeah. in it for a while. Yeah. But it was fun uh, when he suddenly he was in, in an episode. Yeah. It was. Yeah. He lifted the episode up a lot when he was there. You've got another David, similar character, hilarious in his delivery. So funny. And fun to see Maddie interact with both Addison brothers as well. Yeah. Like she loved Richie just as much as David did, kind yeah. of, you know? 
So his car doesn't start and he's upset. So he goes to the bonnet and lifts it up and goes, oh, like this. Oh, damn it. Somebody's put a, a briefcase on my engine. Yeah. Really good way to start the song. So he opens the suitcase and For the Love of Money by the OJs begins. He shuts the briefcase and it stops because he's like, did I just see money in there? Opens it up and the song starts again. It's just hilarious. He looks at it and he grabs it and he's like, he starts walking off and thinks, you know what? I don't need this car. Throws the keys over. And he's out of there. Yeah. And he's running off out into the car park. And Mm -hmm. I just find it great timing how the credit for Glenn Gordon Karen comes up written by as he's running off. I like how the transition with the song from the car park to Maddie's radio. Yes. So she's, yes. li- she's listening to KRKD again. Ooh, oh, yeah. Did you notice that? Oh. <laughs> They're on KRKD again. So they must, must have been a, a famous um, radio station for them in Los Angeles. Yeah, so she's listening to the radio about this competition that we're going to give $4,000 away to yes. a listener. Yeah. Then it goes over to David. He's listening to it as well, and he's on the phone trying to get the operator to break through. <laughs> yeah. And then Agnes does the same thing. So all three of them have got the same thought. We've got to try and raise some money. I just found that hilarious. I know. He's acting like he's the president's assistant and, and they need to break through the line for the president. You know, you know, David, he's always got a, another angle. Yes. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And he mentions Mr. Iacocca as if Mr. Iacocca is there with the president. Now, <laughs> I don't know much about Mr. Iacocca, but I thought he was a, a motor automobile company executive or something. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I know the he's name. A politician. From memory, I didn't yeah. do any research on him, but anyway, that's not the first time he's mentioned in Moonlighting, too. That's true, that's yeah. true. His name does come up again, and yes, I know the name, but I'm not really sure what he did. But the president was Reagan at the time, yes. Everyone just knows that Blue Boon's not busy enough and they need some money, so yep, everyone's you know trying any old way to, to get some money generated, whether it's winning it or or what. Yeah, so he gets upset because of the the operator doesn't believe him, of, of course, and why should she? And he gets so angry that he slams the phone together and throws it in this big bowl on the floor. Now, first of all, since yeah. when does he have a big bowl on the floor next to his desk? <laughs> I know. Yeah, it was supposed to be the garbage can or what? Yeah, it's so funny. I don't know. So now they all hang up together and you see Maddie comes out of the office very frustrated. Yeah. You know, she walks up to one desk then she walks another. Then she comes up to Agnes and says, are there any customers waiting? Do we have any appointments? And, of course, great line by Agnes because she said appointments as in an appointment, not as in appointment. (laughs) John Gavin was made ambassador to Mexico again. (laughs) Any appointments, that's great. Yeah. I really like how Agnes warns David. They've got this code. One buzz is she's here. Two buzzes, uh-oh, she's on her way to your office. So he does a giant leap onto his couch. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, what do you think? Uh, I'm trying to picture like David and Agnes working out this whole system, you know. So, okay, 
Agnes is very loyal to both of them and probably gets more loyal to both of them as, as the series goes on. But is she always just a bit more loyal to David? Especially maybe in these, just because they were together before like Maddie ever came into the picture. They're in cahoots, you know, like she's definitely more protective of, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I'm just I trying don't to... know. I would have thought yeah. 50-50, but you're right. She's known him longer. Yeah. As the series goes on, it's 50-50 as Maddie and Agnes have more, you know, deeper conversations and, you know, that Maddie is in the office longer and things like that. But yeah, at this point, I think um, she's always trying to help David in little ways or David's just put her up to it and she's just loyal to him in that way. Yeah. Oh, and I said it wrong too. He didn't jump on the couch. He does that later. Yeah. The two buzzes and he gets on the phone with Mrs. Middleman. Yeah. So two buzzes, she's headed towards your office. So he grabs the phone, gets on Mrs. Middleman, Maddie storms into his office and puts up his hand like, wait, 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 in the middle of something really important here. Was that a customer? Do we have a case? A case? A customer? Something I can do for you. What was that? Phone. Still is. Addison, did we get a case? A case? A case. A case? A customer. A customer? A customer? A case? (laughs) Yes. It goes back to uh, Twas where it's like, did you ever notice that you answer all my questions with a question? When he doesn't have an answer, he just repeats back. He has to back back a little bit and says, no, actually, that was an inquiry. And she goes, an inquiry? And he, and he goes, well, it's like case mm-hmm. foreplay. Hey, come on, an inquiry. An inquiry's not bad. An inquiry's kind of like case foreplay. Like, case again, foreplay. bring it down a level, David Addison. Bring it oh, down. God, I know. Bring it down a level. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Well, um... And just real quick, you know, going back to are there were there any appointments? And she talks about the double meaning of language. Like Glenn had such a great grasp of language that any time, and it happens like two or three more times in this episode, where there could be a double meaning for a word, he'll always do that play on words. Yeah, he does a great job of doing that. Yep. And even, you know, sometimes it just goes past you until you watch it, you know, five, ten times, and then you catch you catch that like, ah, appointments, you know. That's Glenn's great writing. And I guess, you know, with, with Maddie and David, it's like or uh, Agnes and David and, you know, they're always trying to kind of manage their, I guess maybe it's like they don't want Maddie upset and she's always getting upset. So, you know what I mean? I guess Agnes is trying to help manage Maddie's moods with David. Is that what it goes back to? Because basically he wants her to think that there's a possibility that business is coming in so she doesn't get upset, which he knows that she's on the verge of getting really upset because they obviously are not busy enough still. Yeah, and you can understand her frustration too because you know what? Everything is on her shoulders. It's, yeah. 
it's her business. There's no customers. The phones aren't ringing. So you can understand why she's so upset. And it's really good because they're positive and they're trying to, but it's easy for them to be positive and try to motivate her because you know what? It's not their business. They don't have the same worries as she does. Now, if she had made him partner, maybe, but at this stage, there's just a different perspective theirs to hers. Yeah. All the financial stuff falls on her. She's fronting all the money. She's putting all the money into the business. She's getting letters from the IRS that they want her to foreclose in her house. I mean, how stressful is all of that? The business isn't going anywhere. Your business partner keeps promising you it will. You're not getting more cases. The phones aren't ringing. I mean, this even goes back to the second episode when she comes in. It's like, the phones don't ring. It's like, here we are eight episodes in and the business is still struggling. So yeah, it's very frustrating for her. So she must be putting a bit of money into it to pay the staff. Yeah. She's always saying how she's trying to keep everybody employed. That's why David is trying to pretend like he's got a someone on the line that an inquiry could turn into a possible client. Oh, and I like how he says, Mrs. Middleman, if I have to look under every woman in Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, so many things got past the senses, I'll tell you. Oh, <laughs> I know. Yes, there's so many things. Yeah, it just goes so fast. You can't catch everything. And sometimes you don't understand the meaning until you watch it five times. Because he says um, the husband said he was going to the mall. It turns out he's going out with a mall. With a mall, I know. What does he mean by that? A mall. I think that was a term like in the 60s for a woman, um, maybe M-A-U-L. Let me let me look it up. Sorry. I, I meant to look that up. Um, okay. M-A-U-L. Yes. Uh, okay. To touch or handle someone in a rough sexual way. So maybe a woman who was, you know, handling this man in a rough sexual way. I think it's just a play on words to show that he was cheating. It's also like a term for an animal. Yeah, it's actually a lot of different terms. I've looked it up. I've kind of heard it as like a 60s slang. Yeah, there's some like sexual reference there. But just another kind of play on words as well, you know? He said he was going to the mall, but turns out he was going out with a mall. With a mall. (laughs) Okay, so now they walk through the office and they have a little bit of banter and she's telling him that, you know what I just tried to do? I just tried to ring the radio because she wanted to win the $4,000. And mm-hmm. they're all looking at each other like, geez, I just did the same thing. But yeah. as they walk into Maddie's office, he signals Agnes again. Yeah. It's very quick, but I can't tell what he's, is he telling her to shut the door? I don't know. But he signals her and then she slowly, you can see her hand, she slowly shuts the door. Maddie is getting more and more downtrodden. We're just seeing her mood, you know, definitely she's feeling very blue, you know? Yeah, yeah. She's definitely like in the dumps, feeling very down in the dumps about her financial situation. Now I have a question about this scene. Yeah. Okay. So they get into her office. He signals yeah. Agnes, Agnes shuts the door and she goes yeah. to the ground. Yes. There's papers strewn all over the floor. So was there a scene cut after she was on the phone with the radio trying to ring the radio station? Did she get upset and throw papers on the floor? Hmm. Because all mm-hmm. of a sudden these papers are on the floor. What are they doing there? <laughs> That's true. I never really thought about like why they were on the floor. She must have gotten frustrated about um, the IRS and maybe some notifications that she got or some notices that she got. There must have been a deleted scene there. 
-hmm. Maybe. Maybe if Maddie, maybe her getting angry and throwing some papers around or something. Yeah, I mean, because, yeah, all we see is her coming out into the main office, you know, being frustrated. But um, she kind of falls down in the middle of all those papers and starts collecting them. But, yeah, we don't really ever see how they ended up on the floor in the first place. The other thing, uh, the line that we don't want to miss is, uh, Maddie, 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 you're losing your grip and I haven't even had a chance to sample it yet. Yes. <laughs> That's so bad, too, David. Oh my God, it's such good writing. You know, I know. like yes. who would have thought when people say, "Oh my God, I'm losing my grip," that you <laughs> would think of, you know, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> a different connotation. Oh, Glenn, really? <laughs> oh, yes, it's so funny. Oh, so good. And lines that couldn't be included today, not in the workplace. Thank you for supporting us, Moonlighting fans. We hope you are enjoying our episodes. And if you feel so inclined, Shauna and I would be very appreciative if you left us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts so that we know we're on track with our content and continue to provide you with a great experience. So they're sitting on the ground, which is unusual for them too. They don't normally sit on the ground and talk. Explaining that she's throwing money into this giant pit of an agency and, of course, there's a cut to Bruce where he just looks at her and he's scared as because he's like, oh, no, oh, my God, she wants to close the agency again, right? But the look on his face is so good. You know, you know exactly what he's thinking. So, of course, he goes into his defence slash positive mode again. Yeah, with that look on his face and her saying, you know, he thinks it's all about the business and not generating money. But now he's getting what else is going on with her. And it's the IRS wants me to sell my house. And he's so sympathetic. That look, I think that you're talking about. And he's like, your house. And okay, so I want to say something about this scene in particular, just like David in general, and how he is with Maddie. I hate it later when she's always calling him like self centered, and you know, kind of accusing him of like, never like helping or doing anything for her. He's accused of a lot of things, you know, by her later. And he is someone that she can talk to. He is someone that whenever she like has problems and like financial problems and things like he's always there to help her. He's always thinking of her best interest. He's always seeing like different angles to help like lift her up, get her finances. This whole episode is about her trying him trying to help her with her finances, save her house and all this other stuff. You know, I just don't get later when he gets um, accused of being like so selfish and self-centered and like, I can't think of all the things that she accuses him of later, mm. but in my view, he is sympathetic to her problems. He's, he listens to her. He does what he can to help her. He doesn't want her to lose her house. He's trying to keep her business afloat. You know what I mean? Do you think he gets the credit later? No, he, does, like, he oh. doesn't get enough credit, but yeah. I think it's just the way he goes about things that she doesn't appreciate. And she's very downtrodden. And then he does his Addison like, oh, Scarlet. You know, Tara's not on the block yet, you know, like lifts her up by her shoulders and like takes her by the shoulders and is like, no, like we're going to do this. We will save the farm, you know. I don't think she appreciates the levels he goes to to save the agency. All right. You know, he's thinking of himself too because he's out of a job. Yeah. But the fact that he goes to those efforts of going across the road to, you know, for example, in gunfight where, he goes over to the Regency investigations across the road to get Farley Rye to bring him back to Blue Moon as a client. That's just one example of the things he's done. 
but I don't know what it is with the way she looks at the way he does things, her perspective of it, the way he behaves. I think it blinds her. Yeah, um, she definitely doesn't always appreciate his efforts. I mean, she's always accusing him of having like stupid ideas and that, you know, she has to go along with. And But yeah, I don't know. I just feel like we'll get to it, obviously, like in later seasons. But um, she's just always accusing him of like all these horrible things. But I just feel like he was always someone that had her best interests in mind, you know. And I think this is an example of it where he's really sympathetic about what the problems that she's having in her life outside the office. You know, she's about to lose her house and all that stuff. And he's going to try to find a way as we go on this episode, we'll see other ways that he just, he sacrificed himself kind of to like get money to help her. And clearly his heart sinks when he finds out the figure that she owes. When she starts explaining about the IRS want her to sell her house, she looks at the camera. She looks at the camera. No, I didn't, I didn't really notice that. I think it's when she says, the IRS want me to sell my house and she looks at the camera and then the rest of the dialogue is away from the camera. And uh, so this is the beginning of the money discrepancy. You know, there's a bit of a goof here. He asked how much the um, IRS want and she owes $35,000, she tells him at this point. But that number changes later. Yeah, which we'll go into. Yeah, it does. The other thing she says too is she's worked 11 years for that house. Yeah, I thought I, would, I noticed that as well. I would have thought it would have been longer than that. Well, put it this way. In, in real life, I think she was a model at 16 or something. When you watch the episode where her parents are there, her father says she left at 18. Yeah, I would have thought she would have been modeling before that because 11 years, that, that makes it 24. Yeah. Yes. Interesting how they chose 11 years. Um, they do, and I, I thought it was an earlier episode they, that they did mention that um, when she's talking to her lawyer in the pilot episode, doesn't she say, I've been working for 20 years or something like that? Like the, the number is longer in, in another the episode. The number is definitely. longer. Yeah. 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 Cool. Kind of coincides. But maybe what she's saying is she's lived in that house for 11 years and, you know, putting that money maybe specifically like to buy the house, to maintain the house, maybe that's been 11 years or something, you know. And then she says your favourite line. Yeah, because, uh, yeah, I left Grace a message um, with this line because I think it's a great line. Uh, But so David gets really optimistic, like, you know, um, we're going to find a way, we will, da-da-da, you know, and she's like, David, we're standing on the decks of the Titanic and you're suggesting songs to the band. David, we're standing on the decks of the Titanic and you're suggesting songs to the band. <laughs> like, the ship is sinking and you're ignoring reality. We are on the verge, Maddie. <laughs> on the verge of what? <laughs> <laughs> and this is when it starts with the simultaneous dialogue. And then he yeah. his little history lesson about Eleven and Sev. Seven Eleven. <laughs> Now, what I don't understand, okay, you've got 11 on one, 11 on one side and Sev on the other side. Yeah. And he goes, why don't we open earlier and close later? But then David yeah. says the men swap buildings and the rest is business history. Why would they swap buildings? This should have been a joint venture. Then they'd open earlier and close later. So does he talk about Alev and Sev? Like this? Yeah. yeah. Okay. 
So uh, they might be saying they swap buildings. So now it's seven eleven or something like that. You know, I don't know. I'm just guessing. <laughs> As usual, David makes no sense to me. Anyway. Oh, and he also says Bobbing. <laughs> yeah. Anytime, is- any day now, this phone is going to ring. How'd you do that? <laughs> Here, watch, I'll do it again. Yeah, because he knew he knew that um, Agnes would um, buzz again. Do you think, or do you think that was just a coincidence? Because how did how did they know that Richie was going to be on the phone? No, they didn't. I thought you were saying that um, when he said, "Oh, you mean when he said, here, watch, I'll do it again." He knew Agnes was going to buzz again. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Not because yeah, he I knew see. that his brother was going to be on the phone. Gonna... Yeah. Okay, I got you. I got you. The timing of all of that, like I love the acting in that scene, you know, where he's like, Mom, it's your brother. My brother? You have a brother? Oh, brother. We work out the kinks, but bing, I'm telling you, any day now, any hour, any minute, this phone is going to ring. How'd you do that? Wait, I'll do it again. Yes? For Mr. Addison, it's his brother. My brother? Do you have a brother? Oh, brother. You know, <laughs> that whole... And, and her, you know, going like this and kind of like rolling her eyes in him. It, it's very like a throwback to screwball comedies. Yes. That scene. Yeah. It's just great. I love how that ends. Yeah, love which it. they love to do. That was a great end to that scene. They're back in the car again. They're back in the car and they're looking beautiful. Sybil in her fur. In her fur coat and again. David in a lovely suit and Maddie driving, which I... For some reason, I find that a bit odd that Maddie's driving. I don't know why. I just feel like David would be in the driver's seat in a way. Like they're going to meet his brother. They're dressed up. It's kind of like a date. You know what I mean? Sometimes I, you know, this is very like intricate, but how do they decide who was going to drive? You know? I think in this case, David still doesn't have a car, does he? As far as we know. So she's going to pick him up. Yes. So I like that. I like thinking about those kind of things, little details, you know, so she got all dressed up. She went and picked him up, so she knows where he lives. He's anxious. He's all dressed up. He wants to impress his brother to show that he's a success. And obviously he wants to show off Maddie. You're right, really. He should have just gone by himself. But no, he wants to show off the blonde, doesn't he? Oh, God, of course. If Richie's doing well at all, one thing he's going to be jealous of is if David has a beautiful woman on his arm. David's really worried because... Hang on, what's going on? He's staying at the Bel Air Hotel. They're going to dinner at Adriano's and he's suspicious, but he's also worried that all of a sudden his brother's a success now. I like the little ideas that he says Richie came up with when years ago, like the square hula hoops and stringless yo-yos. And then he talks about the little tequila shots he can put in well, the well, yeah. things for people who didn't have shot glasses. <laughs> It's actually a good idea. So So good. He goes, oh, strange boy. And she's like, yeah, it doesn't sound like you at all. Yeah. I love the smirk, how he looks at her. So good. I love that last like little side eye. We don't see Maddie that happy and kind of light. And I feel like Maddie is like smiling and she's kind of you know interested, like what's his brother going to be like? And she's, you know, really reading into David's moods here. You're shook. And just really like uh, helping him kind of process this whole thing with his brother. And yeah, she's just really interested, but she just has a smile on her face and a lightness about her. You know, they just both seem kind of like happy here, even though he's a bit anxious. 
I just love this tiny little scene. It's just like they look beautiful. Their moods are light. Maddie's happy. They're going to meet the brother. And also everything he points out about Richie, it's like, and that's what you're like too, David. But it's also just showing how well Maddie knows David at this point. Mm. And I think subconsciously too, he's trying to play his brother down so she doesn't necessarily attach herself to him. You know what I mean? That's so he's playing true. Him, yes. you know, just in case Maddie thinks, oh, he's a bit of all right. I like him. Yep, that is true. And, you know, his worst fear kind of comes true in a way, starts to happen. I think you're right. He's trying to downplay Richie a little bit. You know, he has these dumb ideas. He's nothing. He's never has any money. This has all got to be a sham. So they enter the restaurant and obviously she's checked in her fur because it's nowhere to be seen. And she's definitely wearing a U-bra. I didn't think they had U-bras back then. Back <laughs> really? in 1985, I didn't think the U-bra was invented yet. But anyway, um, beautiful dress. That- and, and you were right about, you know, what you were saying from um, the murders in the mail. She was worried about the costume at the ball. How low cut the dress was. Yeah. yeah. But, of course, look at this dress. How low-cut is this dress? She looks gorgeous, you know. I know. I always think that the material of the dress, it looks very, like, silky, I guess. Mm. But it looks like a dress that if you, like, sat or moved, you know, it could, like, wrinkle really easily Mm. or something. It looks like a very delicate dress. Yeah, I think it was a satin dress, and that would have creased crazy. Yeah. Side note, do you know that Maddie and David or Sybil and Bruce, they did a little insert thing on some, like, Love Boat special She's wearing that dress. They're wearing these outfits. So it must have been around this time that they filmed that little like love boat special thing. Okay. Anyone can look at that on YouTube. But anyway, yeah. So they come into the restaurant, nice restaurant. And then here we have the reference that we've talked about before where it's Wally, (laughs) Beave. It's a really great intro to the similar personalities when he sees Maddie. He's like, wow. Talk about two people in sync. Oh, my goodness. Hello. Hello? Wow. That's exactly what I was thinking. Talk about two people in sync. (laughs) And she's like, he really is your brother. (laughs) The Addison brothers are such flirts. They're shameless. They are. Yep. They're a bit like Glenn. Shameless. Yes. You really get Glenn's personality in there as well. Yeah, Mm -hmm. for sure. Have a nice view of me. A nice view of... um me a nice view of me but as they sit down you look at David's face and as usual with Bruce's acting you just know what he's thinking he doesn't have to say a word he's looking at him with such distrust I wrote that down David knows he's full of shit (laughs) (laughs) I'm gonna leave that in Shauna (laughs) exactly what I wrote down and Maddie's kind of trying to mediate, you know, between the two of them. It's like, Addison, Addison, you know. And I think she was kind of excited about having dinner with the Addison brothers, you know. And then there's all this like tension right away, like, you know, starts off. But in the middle of this, of course, Richie, shameless flirting. I really like the awkward silence. There's an awkward silence there for about 20 seconds, even longer. I should have timed it, actually, because they're just mm-hmm. looking at each other. And she's like, you know, oh, gosh. It's just a lot of awkward silence. And then does Richie say she's a hell of an order, Dave, or something like that? Don't let her go. Like they start talking about Maddie, like Mm. she's not there. 
there's a lot of that kind of talk that I guess is very kind of 80s macho guy talking about a woman is like a hell of an order and things like that. It's very Glenn as well. I did notice at the start of Richie's dialogue, he's talking to David, but he's looking at Maddie. He's looking in the wrong direction because obviously Mm -hmm. they're not there when they're filming that. But the first cut, he's looking in the wrong direction. But after that, he sort of looks to the side to talk to David. Yeah, I kind of noticed that too. And uh, it's just, uh, you never get a straight answer out of Richie. Like you never really get a straight answer out of David. David says something. I don't have the dialogue exactly right. Like, or he's like, how'd you get here, Rich? 747, you know, or something, whatever. You know what I mean? Class. What do you say to him? First class. Yeah. And then like Richie says to, uh, to David, what do you drive? And he's like, a nine iron, you know, (laughs) (laughs) everything. You're not getting a straight answer out of anybody. And this is more of the play on language. Every time there's like a double meaning, Glenn always goes for that unexpected meaning. And you got to be quick to pick it up. Yeah, it's just one after the other, really. Of course, Maddie tries to break break yeah. tension by, oh, maybe we should just order. Yeah. And uh, Richie also says, what's this about? Money, right? What are you worth? What's your worth? Or something like that. Bupkis. And then uh, David says, do Cougarans count? How much you got? Are we speaking strictly American currency or do Cougarans count? Now, I never got this before. I don't know if you looked it up. There's things that sometimes you just let go. You don't know the reference, but you just let it go. I looked that up. I mean, where did Glenn get all this information? You know, like he just had these things like off the top of his head. Cougar rands? This is South African coins. I mean, how random is that? Yeah, I just put here because I did a bit of research on it because actually what I did was put the subtitles on because I didn't understand what he said. Yeah. And they start talking about money and he goes, how much you got? He goes, are we talking strictly American currency or do Kruger rands count? And exactly. I looked it up and it's South African coin first minted in 1967 to help market South African gold. Mm. What do you drive? 130 yards, depending on whether he uses a nine iron. Exactly. A company car, right? <laughs> so Richie's yep. really yep. flaunting it in his face bad. Yep. And they're at cross purposes because David's trying to impress him and Richie's trying to impress David communicate people i know and david's kind of trumping it all because he's got maddie on his arm and richie is obviously very envious of that yeah and while they're at each other i love how maddie goes addison and then richie says something and she goes addison i'm speechless for you to be a success the laws of nature would have to be repealed addison you saying i'm dumb addison (laughs) yeah so she's got a new person to say addison too I know, I know, yes. And because I had to put the subtitles on, when David says, I'm speechless, for you to be a success, the laws of nature would have to be repealed. But the subtitles don't say that. (laughs) (laughs) The subtitle says, for you to be a success, there would be no law of nature. Ah, How funny. I think what David says is better. Yeah. And maybe it was script versus ad-libbing on set or stretching the line on set. So then Richie gets his phone call. I like how he reacts to it too. Like he was expecting it like he's a businessman. Oh, yeah. Oh. He's got to like save face. He's got to like play it cool. It would have looked good. If you look at Maddie and David's impression, it would have looked good. that Oh, my God, he's got a phone call at a restaurant. Yeah, that would really add to like him seeming very important for sure. Mm. 
Richie gets the phone call. The, the maitre d' tells him he's got a phone call. And then he gets up, goes over to David and goes, grabs his shoulders and goes, just like old times, eh, bro? He walks off. Oh, yes. There's a few yeah. seconds and David says, I hate him. If you look at Maddie, she starts opening her mouth and the scene cuts. Did you notice yes. that too? Yes. I did. I did. I knew you would notice it. She was saying something to him. I guess they either cut it out or they're just leaving them mid-conversation, maybe. I just thought they could have cut it a little bit before that so that didn't show that she was just about to say something. And I would love to know what she was just about to say. Yeah, probably like, David, that's your brother. By the way, immediately the feel between the three of them is very much sister-in-law, brother, sister-in-law. You know what I mean? There's, there's definitely like a family feel, isn't there? Like right from the beginning, you can see that these three would be like a unit somehow. Yeah, because they're so similar. But I think... For some reason, she feels more comfortable with Richie. She's never, for some reason, through the whole five years, never, no. never been comfortable in opening up and just being herself. But with Richie, especially later on the dance floor, I'm looking at it thinking, hang on, now is that Sybil or is that Maddie? Yeah. I just found that strange. Yeah, that's a good point. You're right. She does always seem comfortable with Richie. David keeps her on edge stiff and tense stiff and tense yeah she just reacts to him so differently than other men yeah it's like her hair is like a cat like her hair stands up around him yeah it's true okay so um richie goes to the phone and mr navarone's on the phone now first of all how did he know he was at the restaurant exactly that's my question how did he know he was there i only thought of that yesterday like we're talking 1985 so yeah. we don't have tracking, we don't have GPS. If he's following him, why wouldn't you yeah. just grab him by the scruff of the neck as he's getting out of the car, yeah. like in a movie, like that's what would happen. <laughs> or if you know where he is, why don't you just show up there? Why call and let him know that you're on to him? I mean, I guess that's kind of what he tries to do later. But well, the other thing too is he has the phone call, Richie gets um, freaked out because Navarro knows where he is. And that why does Richie think going somewhere else, you know, leaving there and going to another place is going to throw Navarro off of anything? Because if he knows where you are one place, then surely he can just follow you to the next. So why would leaving help anything? Then I thought about it and I thought, you know what? He's a stealth drug dealer. He doesn't want to be seen. But he changed that towards the end. Let's forget about that. But I think at the moment he doesn't want to be seen. So he's just threatening him trying to scare him let I guess let him know that I'm on to you so don't think that you're getting away with any of this you know you've got my money I really like how he says um you have something that belongs to me excuse me Richard you have something that belongs to me and he asks him oh do you own a green rambler so he hangs up on him returns to the table just a tad nervous lights a smoke he can't get out of the place quick enough. As he's lighting his smoke, he's thinking of a way to get out of there. He quickly makes up a story about his broker that he's told him to sell. I love their expressions when they're looking at him. It's like, what is wrong with him? His mood just completely changed from before the phone call to after the phone call. So they should have started suspecting something. Anyway, so let's go dancing. Is this where David says, waiter, take this man back to the kitchen. He's not fully cooked yet. Waiter. Take this man back to the kitchen. He's not completely cooked. <laughs> I love it. And the poor maitre yeah. d' is like, 
You guys are weird. What? Yeah. Richie suggests they go dancing. And so they're out of there. Then they're back in the car. Now David's driving. Oh. Following him. So there's obviously a lot of things going through David's mind. He's following Richie, yeah. thinking, where has he got all this money from? And he's getting an inkling <laughs> that Maddie is starting to like Richie. David doesn't like where any of this is going, basically. No, no. It, he's got a lot of feelings going through his mind, I think, at the moment. So now straight away you see them on the dance floor and the Patti LaBelle song starts, If Only You Knew, which is a lovely song. Do you think that while they're dancing, a lot of that is Sybil? The flirtation? I don't know. Is she going out of character or is Maddie having a lot of fun with Richie? It's blurred again. So just before that, before they um, cut to the dancing and the song and all that, she's saying in the car, she's saying, I like him. I forget what the exact conversation is, but David is in a very bad mood. And she's kind of like, what's your problem? You know, I like him, you know, and, he, and David's like, right, or great or something, or I don't know, I forget what he says. But anyway, I'm going to get to your question in a second. But Maddie's not reading the room very well. Like, come on, Maddie, you know, but David has feelings for you. But I guess she's just trying to ignore that because they're business partners. He's in a bad mood. And, you know, she's just kind of, I like him. I think he seems fun. So I don't know. It's just kind of, why are you like rubbing it in his face right now? When they're dancing, is it Sybil or Maddie? To be honest, yes, I think the lines are blurred. I think there is a bit of Sybil in there, you know, with like the laughing and stuff like that and the laughing and the flirting. Sybil is like bodier than Maddie is. Then again, we've never really seen Maddie in this kind of situation before. Because while they're dancing, she sort of droops back and he pulls her forward. And in that section, her eyes open up and I don't think it's Maddie. It's, I don't know. As I said, it's either Sybil, she's gone out of character for a second, or Maddie is having so much fun that it's like, oh, my God, I've never seen her like this. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm saying too. Like, to be honest, as a viewer, and, you know, I'm, like, pretty sensitive to, like, when we're seeing Maddie and when we're seeing Bruce and when we're seeing David or they go in and out of the characters a bit. I do feel like I'm watching Maddie. I feel like I'm watching Maddie. I feel like we're seeing a a side of Maddie that we just haven't seen before where she's letting loose. She's having fun. She's relaxed. Okay. And this is what I wrote. And and you kind of said it before too. It's like, she feels comfortable with Richie. Why? I put why? Because he's cute. Because he's flirtatious. Is he safe? Because that seems to be part of her criteria too. A nice, safe man. Is he safe in the way where it's like, I kind of know that this is only going to go so far because David. But I'm going to let my walls down and have fun with this guy tonight because he is flirtatious. He's cute. He's an Addison. He's kind of the safe Addison because David's dangerous. So I think that she just kind of feels safe to let her walls down, to let her guard down, to just like dance, you know, be a little flirtatious, have a little fun, um, have a little chat. I think it's just Maddie feeling safe. And I think with Richie too, he doesn't have that history with her. So he can, he's just flirting, you know, he's just having a good time. You know, there's no history, there's no baggage. So it's easier for him. And for her, it's just fun, flirtatious, fun time dancing. And there's really no stakes for her because I think she knows even in that moment, even though, you know, David's not quite sure, she knows it's not going to go very far because she can always stop it with the excuse of David, Yeah, which she does later. There's no high stakes for her. You know, if she crosses the line with David, that's dangerous because there's high stakes there. You know, there's no stakes with Richie, but why does she have to, why is she, I mean, she knows how David feels about her. God, does she even see like David's poor little face in the background there? 
it's a great scene where they're dancing and then you cut through between them and then it's just blur and then all of a sudden there's David in the background. I sit there and watch it all the time and I think, what is going through his head? Is it regret that he hasn't made a move? He hasn't told her how he feels because he's always been the macho man. He won't tell her. Or is it fear that something serious might develop between the two of them and he might lose her and he'll have to watch his brother like be with the woman of his dreams? Yeah. Or has he just realized he loves her? Maybe he is realizing that he kind of loves her like in that moment. I mean, that's a great moment for him to realize because all of a sudden she's dancing with another man. What better time for him to realize? He hasn't really seen her with another man and in the arms of his brother, no less, you know? Not in the arms of another man, but, you know, she's been had dinner with an older man. (laughs) I know. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, where she was kind of flattered. But this is Richie seemingly has money, you know, dressed well, flirtatious, funny, you know, obviously attracted to her. And they're sitting there like there's, you know, some chemistry going on between Richie and Maddie. And it's definitely a hard moment. It breaks my heart every time I see David's face Mm. and that little look to the side that he does right before they cut to them sitting at the yeah, at the table oh my god he does it so well i just want to cry breaks <laughs> i know it makes me want to cry too oh my gosh, it like breaks my heart and like maddie why are you doing that you know you can't date his brother but like we said in my view it's her just having some fun a fun flirtatious moment with someone who's safe because even in her mind i think she knows it's only, that would only ever go so far But you're right, she's probably got a great affinity with him because at this stage she still thinks he's a successful man, like she was successful, whereas David, not so much. She's probably thinking this is more the man for me. Yeah, she might, at least testing the waters. If I want to be with an Addison, maybe this is the the best Addison because he looks like he's successful. She doesn't know how goofy he is yet and stuff like that. He does seem charming. He does seem like he's made some money somehow and, and he's obviously attracted to her. I think he's made a great impression, first impression. Yes, I think so too. David breaks my heart in that scene, definitely. The next scene, they're both sitting there having a drink and Maddie's on the phone. And I think this is a question that all Moonlighting fans (laughs) would like an answer to. Who the heck is she talking to? (laughs) Thank you for listening to Brother Can You Spare a Blonde Part 1. Stay tuned next week for Part 2. Well, until next time, I'm Grace. And I'm Shauna. Thank Thank you you for for listening listening to to Moonlighting the Podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.